0: to say is you have to listen to this episode. If you are an immigrant, a daughter or son of an immigrant, a dreamer, this episode is for you. Hola, Reina. This is Jen Hempel. How is it going? I'm excited that you are here, that you've taken some time out of your busy schedule to listen to this podcast. I realize there are a ton of podcasts and fantastic ones at that, but you chose this one. So I am thankful. Before we dive in, I want to remind you that starting tonight, meaning if you are listening to this episode, the day that it is released, that is March 18th. Tonight is the night that Financially Strong Latina starts. It is an event free to the public thanks to the support of AARP who is our exclusive sponsor and you can learn more and grab your spot at financiallystronglatina.com. There's still time and also don't forget to invite a friend. Now let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. Her name is Abigail Zapote, and she is a civil rights advocate and a servant leader with a passion to empower disadvantaged communities and promote racial and economic equity. She's the former executive director for Latinos for a Secure Retirement, where she led a coalition of national Latino organizations to advocate for social security and greater financial literacy for Latinos of all ages. Currently, she is serving an appointment as a senior advisor at the Social Security Administration. Abigail has a lifelong passion for social justice, which emerged through her experiences as a dreamer and the 22 year process of gaining US citizenship. In today's episode, you're going to hear Abigail's money story and how a nine digit number changed her life, what Latinos for Secure Retirement is, and why it was created what the Latino community needs to know about retirement, as well as the financial challenges undocumented Latinos face. ¿Lista? Vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Bienvenida, Abby or Abigail to the Herding Edo Matters podcast. I am so thrilled to have you here and to have connected with you recently. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I know that this is
1: not the first time that we're going to get to work together. I mean, it's a continuing partnership. So I'm really excited to be here.
0: I am too. I'm excited about that. So let's go back in time to when you were a little girl, or some point in time that you remember, talk to us about what you saw, what you heard, what you experienced that has to do with your money, or with money in general.
1: Sure. I came to this country when I was six years old as an undocumented kid. I grew up in Dallas, and which was great. Dallas, Texas is my hometown. But you know, when i was growing up i just remember you know my mom going to work on the bus and she worked probably for about 10 to 15 years at taco bell making about 550 an hour and this was before the minimum wage went up to 725 in 2007 and one of the experiences that i had unfortunately is that my brother got picked up by ice when we were kids when he was about 21 years old and you know it was a very devastating time in our life And so as a family, we always said that we were going to get through this together. And we always thought about it as, you know, unfortunately, my brother had to make the sacrifice in being arrested. Two, I had the connections because I was working at an immigration law firm. So even though I was like 16 years old, I at least had the connection in this country to be able to get us some kind of relief. And my mom knew from the time that we got into this country that she needed to save money. And because there was going to be one point in her life that she was going to be able to fix her papers. And this was it. So when the lawyer said, hey, I need $5,000 from you to bail your brother out of jail, my mom was like, aquí está. Ya estaba el dinero apartado para esto. And, you know, thankfully, you know, she was thinking ahead. She really taught me that lesson that whether you have $5, $50 or $100 to set aside, you have to do it because you don't know what's going to happen. And for me, that was just a great lesson to learn. Because of course, we didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up, you know, being undocumented, you don't have the same opportunities as other people. And so instead of putting my money in a bank, I had to put it in my sock drawer, right. And so there are a lot of those things that I'm still trying to unlearn. And obviously, finally, having this mantle within the work that I do in economic justice, there is a lot of stuff that I'm glad that I can relate to my community, because it is very, very hard to unlearn things that you have to do to get by.
0: Right, I can imagine. So tell us, Abby, what was life like? Because this was a major turning point with your brother getting picked up by ICE. What was your life like financially before this? What was happening? Were there some challenges? What were some great things happening? And maybe, as I mentioned, some challenges?
1: Yeah. So I mentioned that I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and I feel like I grew up in a really great, great neighborhood. While we were still in like little Mexico town of Richardson, Texas, a suburb, my mom was still trying to make ends meet. She was working at Taco Bell Ever since I can remember being in this country, and actually, instead of going to like a boys and girls club after school, I would actually go after school to my mom's restaurant and just sit there and, and do my homework. From there, I really understood the value of work and how much you actually needed to do to be able to get money because, you know, at that time, the minimum wage was still at $5.50. And so, when I was growing up, we had to move every single year because rent, of course, as we all know, increases every year. And so I found myself having to lift up wherever we were at and move to where it was cheapest. And I do remember at one point when I was in third grade living in a four bedroom apartment with four other families, you know, sharing the room with my mom, sharing the room with my brother. And you know, it really is that story of, of hustling. My mom, she knew that she had to take care of two kids and this was the way to do it. And thankfully it got us a roof over our heads and it got us the meals that we needed to get to the next day. Thankfully, as we grew older, you know, my brother took more responsibility of me and my mom would work all the time. He would work as well. And, you know, they really instilled a hard work ethic within me. And I actually started working at uh, 14 years old at a pizzeria I remember getting my first job and going to the interview. And actually, the reason why they hired me was because I would go in and buy tacos like every other day at this pizzeria that sold tacos. That's so funny. (laughs) And so, you know, I came in there one day and they were like, hey, like, are you looking for a job? And I was like, yes, I am. And they were like, oh, well, how old are you? And I was like, well, I know they're not going to hire me if I say that I'm 14. So I was like, oh, you know, I turned 16 in a month. And they were like, oh, OK, well, you know, if you want to come work during the summer, you know, you can come work here. We're paying seven dollars an hour. And I was like, OK, like, that's great. And they obviously didn't say anything about like paperwork or anything like they were just giving me cash, which was great. But then I feel like I got found out because like <laughs> a month later I was like, oh, yeah, we're practicing for my quincean. And they're like, you're practicing for your saying I was like, oh, my bad. Oh, my goodness! But it really just, from that point forward, I left my job at the pizzeria because they weren't really treating me that great. Of course not. You know, they were paying me $7 an hour as a 15-year-old kid. And so, unfortunately, and I think for a lot of, whether your family's undocumented or not, you get an opportunity to work where your parents work, where that's usually the line of work that you have access to. And so, from, you know, 16 years old to about 20 years old, I was working at Taco Bell and I've worked at all of them. I have worked at the Taco Bell KFC, at the Taco Bell Pizza Hut, whichever young food brands you'll see, I was there. <laughs> and yeah, and, and really, you know, everything really did change for me once my brother got arrested because it thankfully, our lawyer found our paperwork that my mom had submitted in 2001 that, you know, when they got him out of jail. They found all the paperwork still in the proverbial line at USCIS. And so thankfully, they were able to expedite it. And I finally had the ability to get a work permit. And so for me, once I had my social security card, once I had those like nine little numbers, I was like, this is it. Like, I can take over the world now. I can achieve whatever I want. Because from that moment before, everything was a barrier to me. And so I'm just really excited just to share that like for anybody that's in this situation, those nine digits that to everybody is just something that you receive when you're born. For a lot of us, it's something that we fight for our entire lives to get.
0: Absolutely. And fortunately, you mentioned your mom had submitted the paperwork a while back. So that was helpful. All right. So you talked to us a little bit before this turning point with your brother at the time your brother got picked up with ISIS, we had already discussed that your mom had saved up money. So that was helpful for legal and everything. And then they looked at the paperwork that she submitted, which allowed you to go ahead and get your social security card sometime thereafter. And things changed at that time because that minimized a bunch of barriers. Tell us, because now, You've been through those challenges, you have lived life in the US as an undocumented person, you've become documented, and now you run an organization called Latinos for Secure Retirement. Tell us how did that happen because you mentioned your work is an economic justice
1: yeah thank you and you know one of the things that I'll also share is that even though I got my documentation, that still doesn't mean that I knew and understood just how money worked in the United States I mean, I was undocumented when I started community college. So for the first two years, I actually came out of it debt-free with an associate's degree because, of course, there was no other kind of financial aid that I could get or receive or apply for or anything like that. And so, you know, I worked really hard. I also applied to some state scholarships that helped me get a couple of hundred dollars to be able to pay things off. And so when I went to university and I transferred... I finally had my social security number, right? So I was like, okay, like now I can get into debt, like my white friends, like now I have the opportunity not to work and, you know, still be able to go to school and just sign the promissory note because college, I was going into school for political science because I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to be a paid ass lawyer it's going to be great. And you know what? $5,000 isn't anything because once I graduate from law school, I'm going to have buttloads of money. But obviously, you know, my life didn't end up that way. I decided not to go to law school. And as you mentioned, I ended up getting this really great job with Latinos for Secure Retirement. And even with that came a lot of challenges. In college, I had the great opportunity to join a civil rights organization called uh, LULAC. Through there, I learned a lot of leadership abilities. I was able to run for the first time ever a campaign of my own. I was elected as vice president for young adults. And so my job was to oversee all of the college and young adult chapters across the country. And so for me, that was Something really special because at the end of the day, like my goal was always to help the Latino community because I knew that I needed a lot of help. And even though I wasn't an expert on all of these things, I knew that I understood my community in a way that other people didn't. Right. And when I got elected to be vice president for young adults, I came to Washington DC for the first time via scholarship to lobby on the Hill and it really changed my life. I was walking, you know, the halls of Congress, just like anybody else. I was going to my state representative's office and demanded what I wanted. And at the time was the DREAM Act to be passed. And that was very empowering. Also seeing youth from all across the country doing the same thing like that to me was power. And through all of that work, I had a really great mentor who saw my potential. And he was like, hey, there's this really great organization called Latinos for a Secure Retirement. We're looking for a new executive director, and we think that you would be great for this position. So I applied, I got interviewed, and I got the job. And so when I got the job, I was like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? You know, all my life I had been fighting to get a social security number, but I never knew like what benefits you actually got by having a social security number. And so for the past four years, I've been running this organization and I have really built the organization, not to say that we built it out of nothing. We had a lot of really great influence with members of Congress, with partnerships that we had, but like financially, we did not have money at all. Like we could barely afford my salary. And I wish someone had told me when I was a kid, well, somebody had told me as a young adult that running a nonprofit is the same as running a business. And I didn't have a business model. I didn't really even know what that meant. All I knew is that like I like advocacy. And so for the past 3 years, it really has been a struggle to fund our programming, to fund the conferences that we did. And so thankfully, this year we've really been able to create those partnerships, the connections that we needed, and I'm so happy to say that we have our programming fully funded for the rest of the year. That
0: is awesome. Thank
1: you. And I'm learning through this as much as I think other people are learning through their small business experience, especially if they're the first business owner in their family, that sometimes it really just goes into like looking within yourself to see like what you need. And maybe this was just particular to the work that I do. But one of the programs that we created was Beyond La Quinceañera program. And this was specifically focused for young girls between the ages of 15 and 21, because as a community, we, when someone is pregnant and they find out that, that it's a girl, they already know from that point, oh, va a tener una quinceañera la niña, tenemos que estar ahorrando, o tenemos que ir a agarrar you know, padrinos y madrinas to pay for everything, right? But if we thought about those life events as opportunities to save as well, as opposed to just throwing this great party, we could really put these young women in a better position to pay for university, to help them even get a bank account, help them really understand how their money works, help them really understand that there is a wealth gap. And that you know, when they have their first job, more than likely, if they don't negotiate, or even if they do, they're still going to get paid less than a white man or paid less than their white woman counterparts. And so we created this program specifically to bring that knowledge to young women, because once they have that understanding at a young age, they'll be more conscious of those discrimination patterns that will happen throughout their lifetime. And I'm sure you know, Jen, that however much we get paid at a young age, that really follows us through our lifetime, because every job asks, the first thing that they ask is, how much money did you get paid in your previous job? Right, right. And if you lowball yourself... They're going to do it too, because what's important to them is their business, not you.
0: Right. So I love that name of the program, Beyond la Quinceañera. So you're really, really advocating for people to look beyond spending that money for that quinceañera, but doing other things or minimizing what they spend and using that extra money for other things. Like you mentioned a bank account, investing, whatever that case may be. I love that. You mentioned a mentor of your uh, had talked to you about Latinos for Secure Retirement. And I have a feeling I know what the answer is. But I want to know your take. Why was this created? Why was Latinos for Secure Retirement created specific for this demographic? Sure.
1: Within the Latino community, there really is no emphasis on retirement. Within our community, you know, we always think about like, Well, my kids are going to take care of me when I get older. And there's also this other notion that really, unfortunately, has been instilled within our community that we do not want help from the government. And we do not want to get any kind of payment or any kind of help because we don't want to be a burden on this country, right? Because it's a privilege to be here. And so the founders of the organization realized that there was no Latinos on the Hill advocating to not only protect this program, considering that a couple of administrations, including this one, wants to cut taxes to be able to really cut this program. And I think it's one of the things to understand is that when you get your paycheck, you'll see this all over TV where people are like, FICA? What's FICA? Why are they taking my money? And actually, FICA is a federal insurance program that was created in the 1930s after the Great Depression because elderly folks were literally being put into poor houses because they didn't have money to pay for rent. They didn't have money to pay for groceries. They were literally leaving people out to die. And unfortunately, that's something that's happening right now.
0: Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you
1: because of COVID and nursing homes being overburdened and re- and being deregulated. And obviously that's a story for another day. But when we saw that the Bush administration was proposing cuts and we realized that Latinos needed to be at the forefront as well of this issue, because this also impacts them. All of us, all of us who work put in money into the Social Security Trust Fund, even if you are undocumented. Undocumented people put in billions of dollars every single year. And so what we actually need is to expand this program because, of course, like I mentioned earlier, there is a huge wealth gap. And if you are discriminated when you're a young person because you're brown, because you're queer, because you're black, et cetera, more than likely that discrimination is going to follow you till the end of your lifetime. And so you actually really do see it when people get their social security check. The most that you can get right now is about $1,800. If you have your 40 credits at the end of your life, if you work for 10 years, receive your 40 credits, if you do everything right, you get $1,800 when you retire. For Latinas, because we don't make enough money, because we have part-time jobs, because we have to take care of our families, because of causes. Yeah, Exactly. So many things that we take on to care for people. Latinas are only getting about $1,100 a month on retirement benefits. And I think we all know how much, you know, during this pandemic, we're really seeing where our money goes because people are losing their jobs or losing their health care. We know that $1,100 doesn't get you anywhere. And so the real purpose for our organization in a very long-winded way (laughs) is to ensure that congressional members hear from us but to to expand benefits, because we know right now we're not being taken care of, considering that for most folks who retire, the only thing that they have to retire on are Social Security benefits.
0: Right. Before we continue, I have a quick message for you. HerDinero Matters is supported by First Republic Bank. Whether your goal this year is to buy a home, start a family, or start a business, First Republic is prepared to support your financial goals with extraordinary service. From day one, your dedicated First Republic banker will be in your corner. Focus on understanding you and your needs. Together, you'll design the financial solution that best fits your personal and professional goals. And as your needs evolve, you can always call or message your dedicated banker directly from their mobile app for anything that comes up along the way. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Now, with what you do, because one of the things as a community that we tend to do is we are known to statistically, I don't have the statistics in front of me. I did an episode a while back where I talk about the stats of Latinos and being behind in terms of how you mentioned the wealth gap, and how a certain percentage of Latinos do not contribute to an employer retirement fund and how some just don't even have that. So what do you see in your work? What are Latinos doing? doing to prepare for retirement? What are the ways that you're seeing?
1: To be honest, we're really not seeing folks prepare for retirement, unfortunately, and you nailed it right on the head. You know, our community is overrepresented in low income jobs, and especially jobs that don't offer healthcare nor retirement plans. Fortunately, for those that do, those are the folks that are putting in they're 3%, they're 5% into those retirement accounts. But unfortunately, we look at the data and Latinos right now, the average amount of money that folks have in their retirement accounts is about $10,000 compared to $160,000 by white families. Yep, That in general is a huge amount. And that kind of ends up creating that cycle where we do have to depend on our children to help us at the end of our lifetimes, because we just don't have the knowledge. And the thing is, it's okay that we don't have the knowledge. But the most important thing is that we seek out that knowledge. And that's why us as an organization, we were created, or actually, when I came along, I brought that at the forefront that we need to be doing that financial education within our communities. Because if no one else is doing it, we have to do it for ourselves. And we have to use the same tools that white folks have been using for a long time to create that generational wealth that we have the capacity to, but we just need to learn the know-how.
0: Right. And that's what I'm seeing too, is that because I see those statistics where they're not contributing, maybe it's a lack of knowledge or just Mm -hmm. being afraid or, or they just don't have access to that because of the job that they have. But there is other avenues of retirement. Latinos do, and I don't know the percentage of this, but Latinos. When I hear about Latinos invest, is is investing in real estate. Mm -hmm. That's what I most commonly see. I don't know if that goes along with what you see, and I think you know you do have to have this diversification and investments. But I don't know if that's a cultural thing in terms of when you let's say you're coming, moving, or immigrating from a Latin American country and culturally there that was considered investing. And that's what was taught. I know I had a guest from La República Dominicana. That's what they were taught. When it came to investing for the long term, it was investing in real estate, which it is a form. But my only concern is fully put all your eggs in that basket because that investment is tied into the walls of your house. Right. And of course, there's a risk in all investments. So Does your organization, you mentioned financial education, talk about, I presume, IRAs and and other things that they can do? Because if they don't have access Mm -hmm. to a retirement plan, they have access to other things such as an IRA.
1: Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we have been educating folks on, especially folks that are documented, is to open up CDs, especially because they're in a shorter term and they can save depending on when the expiration date of their work permit is. And I think that's just like nuance that folks at the bank, you know, wouldn't even know to offer people.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that. Because I was born an American citizen. I haven't had these challenges. So let's talk about an undocumented person versus a documented person. And what are they able to what are the challenges or what are the roadblocks that they can't do without that social security number? So you mentioned on documents, they can have CDs, what are the things can they do to save for the long term?
1: The other thing that we also suggest for folks to do is to open a high interest savings account. Usually you'll find these on internet based banks. So I personally use ally, actually, so not an endorsement or anything like that. But yeah, It really is a way to know that your money is not tied to retirement, which is, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. But it's something accessible. And to be honest, you know, with some of the conversations that we have with folks that are leaders within the marketplace of retirement accounts is we always try to suggest to them that the next big way to help people actually save for retirement is to create emergency savings accounts within those retirement plans that people have access to. Because a lot of the limitations there are, if something happens and I don't have access to that money, what good is it if it's going to be that I can pull it out 40 years from now when there's an emergency, you're more than likely going to take the tax penalty, getting that penalty because of it, Because you have to take care of, like, necessities that are happening now, right? Unfortunately, you know, if you're undocumented, there aren't a lot of ways. I mean, even, you know, getting access to a bank account is hard because places like Bank of America, you know, if they find out that you don't have a social security number, they block you from your account. So it's just like, well, how can we even trust institutions? Right. And I will say that one of the ways that, like, my family has been able to overcome this is because I do still have family that isn't documented, is getting a family member who is a citizen to open up a dual checking account. So that way, there is someone that has citizenship that can control it. But obviously, there's that caveat of knowing your family and, and someone else having access to your money. So, I mean, it, it, there are a lot of challenges. But if there's anyone listening that, you know, does need an ear or would like to get some help, please feel free to reach out to us at info at org. More than happy to be a resource. And honestly, if there are things that folks really want us to talk about, we'd be more than happy to create a webinar on the most asked questions.
0: Awesome. Good to know. Yeah, because I was curious, I had a feeling it was very limited, but because I don't want to say I take it for granted. But if I when I went and opened up an RA, I just kind of filled it in. I didn't take, I guess I did take for granted what I had, you know, in terms of okay, this was easy, where if someone else undocumented wanted to do the same thing. Yeah, to be honest, there's such a huge anxiety,
1: like anytime that you see an empty space where you're supposed to put a social security number, and you don't have it. And you're just like, okay, well, I can't continue
0: the
1: rest of this application. And I
0: can't right the rest of, of what I'm applying for. Right, right. Oh, my goodness. So there is definitely I think with your organization, there's definitely a lot of work to be done, which is why I'm so glad that you exist, especially, and I'm not saying you just advocate for undocumented, you advocate for Latinos in general. But knowing that you're here to advocate whether undocumented or not, it's good to know that Especially the undocumented Latinos, that they have someone on their side, right, to advocate for those needs because that wealth gap is going to continue to be there and not decrease by much. Because if they're still undocumented, well, they can build some wealth, right? But with high interest savings, the interest is still not that high, right? With CDs, it's still not like, you know, it's not comparable to investing in an IRA or an employment retirement plan or for a 1K. So that gap is going to be there. So that really, I guess the question would be, or it's not a question that you need to answer, or what we need to do is, I don't have power, is get them documents. Yeah.
1: Right. And just so you know, and then for folks that are listening for them to know as well, when I go to Congress and I talk about expanding social security, I always say that part of expanding social security is also creating a pathway to citizenship for the 11 million undocumented people in this country. Because if you ensure that those people at least have a work permit, you prevent bad labor practices that give them low wages. You also give them protections for their families to even feel like they have dignity in going to work. And at the end of the day, if more people are in the labor force and more people are just getting checks that FICA, you know, takes their 6% tax on, that means there's going to be so much more money being put into the Social Security Trust Fund, which I will say the Social Security Trust Fund will be there for all of us. But if we don't expand it, it's only going to be limited to a certain amount of money. And like I mentioned, Latinas only get $1,100 dollars. So I think even that is just an argument to say that we need to expand who gets these benefits and how much money is actually given to the community or just to beneficiaries in general, because especially right now during the pandemic, as people are losing their jobs, folks that are Social Security beneficiaries are still getting their monthly checks you know, they're getting them right now through the pandemic, they got them back in the 2008 recession. So if anything, it's the Social Security Trust Fund that is really continuing to keep the economy going right now.
0: Right? Oh, my gosh. And there's so much more conversation to be had, Abigail, and so glad you were here. And hopefully, we can have you again, at some point to just dive deeper in some of these issues, because we definitely need to discuss this more because generational wealth is important. And how, what we can do, like I don't make the decisions in Congress or I don't personally have a say, but what we can do as a community to advocate for ourselves, what we can do as a community to be in a better financial position. You mentioned emergency funds, which I... I am all on board. You need to have those emergency funds. So, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate everything you share and your story as well. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my goodness. I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. Her story. Touches me in so many ways. It touches me in a way that I know that, and I acknowledge that I have had so much privilege, even as a Latina, because my dad is American, because automatically I was an American citizen, even being born abroad, being born in Colombia, and how much of an advantage that gave me, and how it facilitated moving to the US and made it so much easier. So, hearing stories like Abby's touches me because it also, besides allowing me to really acknowledge and remind myself the privilege that I have had, the advantages that I have had, it also gives me hope. It gives me hope that immigrants, whether they're undocumented or not, it gives me hope that all immigrants are able to achieve what. Abigail and her family have been able to do, because this is why we come to the United States. We come to the United States with that dream. We come to the United States for a better way of life. And examples like Abby, that is the ideal. That is the way that I'm at a lack of words, because again, it just gives me hope and it brings a smile to my face. Because I want to hear more stories like hers, right? And I realize that everybody's journey is different. I realize that, but it just gives me that hope that things that happen for Abby, even though there are some definitely some challenging things, but how it turns out works out for so many more people. Now, enough about my rant. Abby and I want to encourage you to learn more about Latinos for Secure Retirement. You can check them out over at latinoretirement.org, and that link will be in today's show notes. They do fantastic work. I've been able to participate in one of their events, and definitely check them out, learn more about them, because they are there really advocating for our community notice that with Abby's story there's definitely resilience there's definitely not giving up there is definitely the story of less press on and keep moving and that's why i want you to join us at financially strong latina because Abby exudes what a Financially Strong Latina is. It doesn't matter where she's at on her financial journey. She is bound and determined to make things happen. She's out there advocating for us as a Latino community. And so I want to encourage you to join us at Financially Strong Latina. Yes, It starts tonight, March 18th. If you're listening to this at the time it releases, but we also have two other sessions. So March 18th, March 25th and April 1st. Now, if you miss this March 18th, because you're listening to this, maybe a week later, it's okay. Because as long as you register, you're going to be able to access the replay. So register, register, register. It is absolutely free. And I know you'll be blown away with what we're bringing you, especially with a lineup of speakers of all Latino speakers that we have. And again, it doesn't cost you anything. Of course, it costs you your time, but it's an investment of your time to become financially strong, to become financially stronger. So again, this is free. Thanks to the support. Of ARP. You can get all the details and register at financiallystronglatina.com. Next week, we will be meeting Cristina Trujillo, una ecuatoriana who has a beautiful story of being a single mom. And she shares so transparently her financial journey. So don't miss it. Eso es todo. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune in to today's show. You can check out the show notes over at jenhimpil.com forward slash two. 57. Remember that being the reign of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you, and so should you. If you love this podcast, love this episode. I would love it if you share it with someone you care about. You never know what exactly that person is going through, and the simple act of sharing can change the direction of their financial life for the better. And also, don't forget if you haven't already, to click follow on whatever podcast app you're using so that way you automatically get the episodes. Bueno pues, that is everything y nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao!